This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Halzer and Portia Hensley. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Women in a Day podcast. Today, we are so excited to be here with our guest, Lisa Cutter. Portia, can you tell us a little bit about Lisa? I would be happy to. Lisa is a PR consultant and a strategist for Cutter Communications, and she's been doing that for the last 20 years. She's also an original organizer of the Denver Women's March, and she's a candidate for the Colorado House District 25. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks. Thank you, guys. I'm really glad to be here today. Yeah, of course. We're excited to have you. So we start every podcast uh, trying to get to know a little bit more about your day. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us what is your favorite part of the day? Uh, that's a good question. My favorite part of the day, I think, is in the morning when I'm um, having a cup of coffee, catching up a little bit on the news and sort of planning out the day when it's just full of possibilities. And is there a part of your day that feels the most stressful or a week of, or a day of your week that feels especially stressful? <laughs> the end of the day or the end of the week when I realize all the things that I did not accomplish <laughs> that I wanted to accomplish. So, yeah, probably the end of the day when I'm thinking, oh, man, there's so much to do still and I didn't get it done. But that's before I let go. Then, you know, eventually I just go, eh, whatever. Right. Does your day constitute work on the Women's March and your campaign and your regular day job, too? Is that an everyday thing that you're juggling? Yeah, it, it actually it is. Um, early on, I sort of tried to do it day by day thing, but that doesn't ever work out. You know, there's always something that intrudes if you want the whole day for the Women's March or whatever. So now I just try to do a little bit of everything, you know, make a list and hit the high points and get the most important things done in each arena. Is there something that you do every day that you won't compromise on, that you won't stop doing? Well, I'm trying to be better about this habit. This my intention is to make it meditation. And I've started this week again. I kind of go back and forth with that. But I've started this week, um, you know, trying to be mindful about that and doing it every morning. So I'd like to say moving forward that I'm not going to compromise on that. (laughs) You're on record now. That's right. (laughs) I'm going to come back and listen to this. Portia will hold you accountable. Tell us about your business. Tell us about Cutter Communications. Well, I've been uh, in PR for more than 25 years now, and I've had my firm for 20 years. And I originally started it because um, I love PR and I love what I do, but I had a job downtown and it was uh, really difficult. I had three small kids. And so it got to be more and more difficult to drive home late, you know, and have them be the last ones at daycare. And so um, consulting seemed like a really good option. And that's what I did. I just launched my firm 20 years ago when they were little, and it's been wonderful. I I get to work with a really broad variety of clients, a lot of nonprofit, a lot of business clients, some consumer-focused clients, really a wide range healthcare, and still be really flexible with hours. And, you know, now with the campaign, it's easier to balance. It's not easy particularly, but I have some flexibility, and the same when the kids were young. Did you start your company by yourself? Did you have a partner, Mm -hmm. just you? Just me. But I work with a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a really strong community of consultants in Colorado, and I'm very close with a lot of them. We network really heavily together and help each other out. Uh, I work with a lot of contractors too. My, My model is a virtual firm, so I have contractors forming my teams. So it's not just me doing PR for clients, which again, especially with the campaign, that's really important. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And did that work get you into the Women's March? How did you get involved? Yeah, it did, did actually. Good question. So last year, um, I was not one of the original, original organizers. They had begun the march, and a friend connected with them somehow with these three ladies that started the march here locally and connected with them and said they really need some PR help and strategy. And so I came in pretty early last year. I mean, it was, um, I don't know, maybe December sometime, late December. And, you know, and it all came together really quickly right. after the election last year. I was like, whoa. And so I came in and did um, strategic uh, PR for them and media training and helped organize all that. And just became, that's a, you know, PR is a pretty strategic role. And so I became more involved in a lot of things with them through that role. And it just seemed logical to move forward. And we did we did things throughout the year. We, we kind of formed a loose board I say I say a loose wait that didn't sound right <laughs> but yeah we had a loose structure let's say because because we didn't have um informal board. informal thank you very much we didn't have uh like we didn't file for a 501c3 or we didn't formally organize as a business because we wanted freedom so we're really on the fence still about how we're going to do that so remind everybody how many marches were there I don't mean to put you yeah, on the spot that's right. how many were there around the country well I'm I'm just going to tell you I don't know. So <laughs> you're not putting me on the spot. I just don't know. In every major city and in a lot of small cities, I mean, right. there were there were marches where there was 10 people. Like, right. we loved looking at the photos and hearing stories. They and were there, amazing. Mm, and there were marches all over the world. So it's interesting because it sounds like it was really up to the organizers to decide how they wanted to approach it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure, you know, you were working truly without a template. Absolutely. There, now, there was there's a national organization that, you know, that's how these three women locally, the original, and one of them is still with us and part of the, the group. Did um, the national organization reach out to the, the three women? That's Well, what happened is they started putting together independent marches, two of these women, and national picked up on it. The women organizing the national march picked up on it and said, oh, hey, you guys should talk. And then I don't even remember how Karen Hinkle, the third woman, got involved. It was um, Jessica Rogers, Cheetah McClellan, and Karen, Karen Hinkle. And Cheetah and Karen are doing other things, and Jessica's continuing forward. But so they all connected through National. And then, yeah, it's kind of, it's been a little bit all over. There's different cities doing different things. How much direction did the National movement have with the local movements? No direction. I wouldn't say direction. I mean, they, they, we still participate in calls with National. It's actually, there's been a bunch of independent groups in different cities that, you know, are doing their own thing. And then there's sort of a national structure as well. So it's, it's honestly, it's not super well organized, but activism frequently isn't well organized. And that's sort of the definition, right? So we're in communication and we, we, um, take cues. For example, nationally, um, it was March to the Polls. You know, we rolled that out here as well. So we want to be on the same message in that regard. But people in Colorado might want different things than people in Las Vegas or people in right. D.C. I mean, so we want to be really in tune with what people here want. And in moving forward, we're paying a lot of attention to that as well. We're, we intend to work even more closely with other activism groups and um, pay attention to issues and help drive some change in some very specific areas. So the day of the march, the first mm-hmm. march, which was January, remind me to... Oh, it's now a, I'm a, it's a, twi- uh, it was a 20, 20, no, it was a 21st, first, the 21st, first. that's right, because, right, it was a Saturday, it was 21st. Okay. Yeah. So the day of um, the first March, mm-hmm. of January 21st, 2017, mm-hmm. as someone who had worked 
on the march. I think it was projected that 40,000 people might show up, right? Oh, yeah. We, we thought maybe, um, oh, maybe we'll get 75, maybe. So what was it like as someone who organized it to be? Because I know what it felt like as a marcher. Yeah. When you're well, like, how many showed up? 150. Wow. 150. But as, a thousand. A, you know, <laughs> as someone who was marching, it was uh-huh. crazy because you're like, wow, we're packed, we're at capacity. And then you turn around it and it was a literal sea of people. So it I know was. what that felt like to be someone who was marching. What was that like to be one of the organizers? Um, just euphoric. I mean, it was so cool because it was just such an amazing feeling to to, write, to see all these people. And, and you had no, I mean, we really had no way of knowing how many people were right. there. It was reflecting on it and looking at photos and things and having some analysis done. But even, you know, informally, off the record, on the ground, the DPD was saying... Um, that looks like 150 or so. Now they won't they won't go on record as making an estimate. And the mayor's office won't either. No one will really go on record officially. So, but we were hearing buzzing that that was the case. And then of course the it was funny because I handled media on the ground and so they're calling all, you know, and media was calling me all day. I'm just sort of running around. I didn't hear any of the program because I was kind of trying to line them up with people and yeah. they're calling me all day asking me how many people there were and and I just thought that was so funny because there's like helicopters, like, like Channel 7 and Channel 9, they got helicopters up there and they're calling me to ask right. me, like, uh, let me a count lot. them and I'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was funny. So, yeah, so it was pretty awesome. What's different this year about the organization or what was different? Well, just generally speaking, last year it was very reactionary, right? It was very, right. man, and that was, and in a way, that that was really cool. That was a really cool part of it is that people were just like, yep, this is not okay. We're getting out there. Yeah. And they mobilized and showed up so quickly. Um, this year, turnout is um, still in, we don't know, we, we're, we're not certain of the numbers still. And it was likely less than last year, but we just aren't sure. But people were very intentional, and we were very intentional. So I hope that that came through. We, we were very intentional about saying, you know, this isn't a protest in particular. Right. Because you can only protest for so long. As I like to say, you can only throw things at the TV for so long before it just, you know, it's, it's not satisfying though. anymore. <laughs> and it, right. And it's not doing anything. So we tried to be very intentional about saying, hey, you know, we want, we want to motivate and inspire you to get out there and change it. We may not like things, but that's the way it is right now. But we can change it. And the way we're going to change it is by getting involved in our communities and getting involved in the political process. And that's kind of a dirty word to people. They don't they don't like, you know, talking about that. But it's right. not politics. It's your life. Mm-hmm. It's government. It's the system it's, that we currently that's have. Right. And, and, but, but beyond that, though, it, it is your life. It's yeah. You think politics, but it's snow removal on your streets. And it's your police force. And it's, right. you know, it's uh, fire mitigation. I mean, it's things that affect you every day. It's your school board. And I, I think people are so frustrated with national stuff that sometimes they just want to check out. But, hey, you can change things locally. And that makes more of an impact on your life in, in many ways. Speaking of which, (laughs) it seemed to have made a huge impact on your life. Yeah, wasn't that a good transition? (laughs) Did you ever imagine that you would be running for any kind of office? Well... No. Yes and no, I guess, because a lot eight years ago, of course, I wouldn't have thought that. Um, but I've always been really engaged politically and because I do think of it as government services, as um, helping people. Yeah. And that's always been really important to me. And probably a few years ago, I started thinking, hmm, my kids are grown up. You know, maybe this is something I want to do. But then you then you go, 
I don't know if any of you have had a dream and you just go, oh, no, I can never do that. Nah, that's, you know. And uh, I had one person say to me, well, why couldn't you? And she was a senator. And actually, I'll just say, she was, it's Morgan Carroll, and she was a senator from Aurora. She was the uh, majority leader. Wait, is that how you, but anyway, she was the the head of the Senate. She worked with a client of mine. She's an attorney. And we were out on client business, and I was saying how much I admired her. And how I always thought it'd be cool to do that. And she said, but yeah, but I couldn't do that. Well, why couldn't you? Mm. And I thought, well, yeah. (laughs) So that just sort of played in my brain for a couple years. And then, um, and I started thinking about it a little bit and, and, you know, reaching out and kind of investigating. And then after the election and feeling just so discouraged and then turning around and feeling so empowered by the march Mm. and by all those Voices from people that cared about the same things I cared about. I mean, we're all so different, but there's so many things that we have in common and that we can work together to fix. It's very true. And that's that was really my motivation. I said, yep, I'm going to do it. So why this position? Well, that, that's a good question. I, well, primarily, I mean, I really want to be involved. I really like the process of government. It is messy and obnoxious as it is sometimes. I just love that whole process. And um, we don't, ha- I don't live in a city. Mm-hmm. I don't have the option of city council or anything like that. I live in an unincorporated area. Mm-hmm. And so this seems, so just talking to people and kind of reaching out and doing a little bit of research, this seemed like um, something that I could do. I was a point in my life and a point in my career where I felt like I could tackle it. And it just seemed like I could make the most change. I could really um, work on policy and things that would make a difference to people. How long have you been campaigning so far? 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then you are definitely qualified. Right, I've earned this. I I, um, entered the race last June. And funny story, it seems like forever, right? It's it's such a long cycle. But it's a really big territory. It is. It's Evergreen and Conifer and Genesee and, uh, you know, Morrison, all kinds of... uh, it's just a geographically large area. So it was good to enter early. But I had, I've had, I think, four people, including my dad, said to me, um, good luck on Tuesday, last November. <laughs> I think that's so funny. I was like, no, no, it's not. It's another like, year. This is the dry run. So let's all right. practice getting to the polls right. and make that's sure right. we know which, which street right. we're taking. Well, and that's not, that's not to make fun of anybody because people just don't realize. Is, I mean, no. I would have probably thought the same thing. It's so like, we, holy cow. Yeah, to think that you are running for a house seat <laughs> in Colorado in an unincorporated county, mm-hmm. which for those of you who don't know, Evergreen, Conifer, those are all places that you pass through when <laughs> you're headed from Denver to the mountains. Yep. To think that you would have to start campaigning basically a year and a half in yeah. advance of the election, that's yeah. just where we are right now. What, yeah. what has been the most challenging part of running for office? Oh, well, there's a, there's a few things that come to mind. I think, you know, balancing, but that's always... I always want to do the best at whatever I'm doing. The, I should say the best I can, because I'm pretty good at giving it my all and maybe beating myself up a little bit, but then going, okay, <laughs> you know, regrouping and right. you got to go another day and do do better. Um, so that's, that's always hard, just balancing that and not being too hard on yourself. And, you know, the other thing is, I think, is asking people for help. 
honestly. Yeah. That's a, a really real thing for me to say. It's a scary thing to say, but it's true because I'm a consultant and I'm a PR strategist. And so uh, in those roles, it's I want to help people. Like PR, you fix problems. You you make things better. And as a, you know, in client services, you just want to take care of whatever the client needs you to do. So for me, having, and, and as a mom, too. Yes. You know, you, you fix everything. So to have to ask people for, you know, I have to ask people for money and for help, for volunteer help and all those things. It's kind of a, a hard thing to get around. But is there I mean, anything that surprised you? Well, politics is very political. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a huge surprise, isn't it? No, I mean, not not particularly. Is there someone that has really helped you out from the time that you said, I'm going to run? Is there someone that's really... I imagine that even for someone who was politically active Mm -hmm. for a long time, just navigating the system of running a campaign... Who has been your support system in that process? Well, I, my family in general, my family is an amazing support system. I mean, I, I wouldn't do anything without my family behind me and they're everything. How old are your children? My daughter is 27 and she's married. So we have a bonus child. So whom we adore, we love them. And then of course, but you don't always love the the spouse. (laughs) So we're really lucky. (laughs) And, um, and then uh, my twin sons, our twin sons are 23. Okay. Um, but to the as far as supporting me specifically in the campaign, I had a client reach out, an, an ex-client. I had worked with this couple in Evergreen, uh, I want to say 10 or 15 years ago, I can't remember, but several years ago on a project, they wrote a book and loved them and had a great relationship with them and then hadn't seen them in a while. And they heard I was running and reached out and and they have been amazing and Nancy, her name is, has worked, the wife had worked on campaigns in New York before years ago. But so she was much more politically savvy than I was at the time. And oh, wow. she's been so helpful. And a few other people um, have kind of come out and been supportive as well. And it, what, what I want to say about that is it's funny how when you set an intention mm-hmm. and you start taking one step at a time and that, how things will come out to support you. So like all these people, I go, you used to work on in politics who knew that you know i mean like and right and friends that i just made were just the perfect friends and you know that have been super helpful and supportive just when i needed them so i've been really really fortunate that way and and in fact if i may say that that is a huge piece of advice i always um tell my kids and their friends and anybody who will listen (laughs) is it's scary to to make a change and to do something different. But if you take one step, you just take that one step yeah. and then you take another step. Don't think about it as like, you know, the end of the road, the the cliff or where. Just think about it as, as one step at a time. And it's amazing how things will come out to support you if you do that and things will fall into place. Had you ever worked on a political campaign before? Or? Not, not a, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess the mill levies in the school mill levies, I'd worked on those a little bit and I'd helped out with a little bit with the, uh, our rec district, Foothills Parks and Rec, just odd, odd, odd consulting here and there, but, but you're really an smooth. outsider in the political world. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Do you think that that makes you a different type of candidate? I don't know if it's that so much as just that. I, I don't know if, I don't know if it does. I, I personally, I just try to be, um, really authentic. And I think maybe that, makes me a little different. I mean, I don't know. There's lots of authentic and wonderful candidates out there. But I think people are jaded and really um, paying attention 
right now. What are some of the biggest issues that your constituents are facing? Well, there's a lot of things, right? We have a, I love Colorado and I love living here. I would never move. I'm a native. Um, so I'm a big fan of pretty much everything <laughs> that we do, but, but you have to think about the things you want to change too and, and help improve. And I, in talking to people and shaping my platform, I really am going to focus on the economy, education, and the environment. And I, that really does resonate with the people I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, the economy, I would say things specific like affordable housing, that's just not okay. I'm sure some people saw it coming with all the changes economically, but it's really a tough issue everywhere. Mm-hmm. It, it is. And I, you know, I used to think before I really started talking to people in Evergreen and really shaping things, um, you're listening to people up there and figuring it out. I always thought affordable housing has personally always been near and dear to my heart. It was um, one of my very first clients when I launched my business was an affordable housing provider. And so I learned a lot about it and about nimbyism, not in my backyard and, and people's perceptions around it and the really the need for it. And once I started talking to people in Evergreen, I realized it wasn't just an urban issue. And you think about like Vail and ski towns and things that have um, workforce housing issues, mm-hmm. but Evergreen is in the same boat. And I say Evergreen just because that's like the largest population center, but all yeah. of those areas are pretty much in the same boat. You know, people can't afford to live and work up there. Right. They have to drive up in bad weather and, you know, that is that the kind of communities we, we want to create? I mean, we don't. We want our kids to be able to move back if they want to, to be able to afford a house, or for your elderly parent to live nearby, so that you can, you know, you keep an eye on them and be close to them. Yes. And it's just really difficult right now. So that's a huge issue. Um, smart growth, which that's a part of. You know, if we continue to grow, which we're going to. I mean, you can't stop people from coming here. Um, but we need to take care of transportation and infrastructure issues. So those kinds of things really will impact the economy. Um, education is really important. Who I, I suppose there's people that d- that don't have kids or their kids are grown up and they don't necessarily think education is an important issue, but that direct that's the pipeline to you know economic freedom and and oh, success. Exactly. Yes. And so if we don't have an educated workforce, um, that's going to directly impact our economy. Providing a fair and free education, public education to all students is important. And then the environment. I'm very, very passionate about the environment, open spaces, protecting our open spaces, clean energy, you know, working towards a clean energy economy is a big thing in Colorado as well. It really is an economic driver, not only being the right thing to do. So, Lisa, you started your company when you said when your children were young. Mm -hmm. What was that like? I should say I was very fortunate because I was not a sole breadwinner. I mean, my husband, you know, was working and had a stable job and we had insurance through him and stuff. So that was nice. Else it would have been a lot scarier. So I had a little bit of a safety net, to be fair. But it was um, it was just wonderful that I I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity and that I could do that because of my husband, Brett, and be a lot more flexible with my children. My family is everything, everything to me. I mean, if that's the the bottom line, but I never wanted to be a full-time stay-at-home mom. I just knew that wasn't me either. I'm I'm more driven to I don't know, to to have a professional life as well. 
I love that part of my life. And I think that made me a better mom. You know, different people, it's different things. But for me, that made me better. And so I really am grateful that I had that opportunity. So working for myself just gave me a lot more flexibility. I mean, at first, I will say now people are much more accustomed to it. No one blinks when you work at home and, you know, they don't even think about it. But 20 years ago, that wasn't always the case. I kind of had to hide it a little bit. I was much more cautious with people. (laughs) So I do media relations a lot. And I remember um, taking phone calls from media. I I was working in an emergency foster care program, trying to get stories so that they could get people to take foster kids on an emergency basis. So it was really a great program and really important. And I remember sledding, taking my kids sledding and taking calls on my, you know, my brick that you need a cell phone, this ginormous cell phone. Um, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't like there today and taking calls and, but no one knew where you were. So, but I was very like now I probably, I'd be much more transparent about it, honestly, because people I think expect you to have that, uh, you know, it's just much more common. It's way more common, yeah. but you're right. And I think that's an important, you bring up an important point that so many times it's perceived that there's this chasm between women who work and women who don't, and mm-hmm. that it's somehow a judgment. And I think what you said is exactly true. Some people fall into the role of being a stay-at-home parent, mm-hmm. and they love it, and mm-hmm. they thrive in that role. And some people do not. Their work is elsewhere, mm-hmm. and it really is a very individual decision. Well, it is, and we should honor everyone's individual decision. I mean, yes. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do that makes you happy and you're contributing the best of yourself in the best way that you can, then hooray. Yes. I, but I could, I could not do it personally, but I'm sure there's people that think I'm crazy for working and having a family too, you know? So it's just whatever makes that person happy. And I think it's definitely that we should be celebrating that we live in a time Mm -hmm. where we as women have so many choices and have so many options and that when we tell our kids, you can do whatever you want, we mean it because you can be sledding. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. Exactly. talking on the phone to clients. Yeah. Less judgment and more celebration. Yeah. It's an amazing time to be around and have those choices. It is. I agree. Lisa, as we wrap up, Mm -hmm. can you share with us your favorite piece of advice? My favorite piece of advice is um, probably to be yourself. I love that. Um, I I do some training with my partner in the PR world. We do training about authenticity for companies, Mm -hmm. essentially telling them to be themselves and they'll be more successful. And some people have given me that advice, of course, over the years and more um, recently in regards to my political you know, goals, career. And it's, it is really good advice because it's hard to, it's, or it's easy, I should say, to forget that and just want to be what other people want you to be or, but when you're truly yourself, then you're operating at the highest level and um, you're giving what you need to give and it'll all work out. That really shines through with you. Ah. (laughs) What are some things that you've done in, like you mentioned finding yourself in your campaign, what are some things that have helped you or what do you advise people to do when they're trying to find their authenticity? I think I think it's really uh, important for people to listen to what makes them happy and, and just really think about what makes them happy. There's a lot of noise. You know, there's a lot of things that can influence you now. And, and, and I guess part of it, too, is just getting older. I mean, I think that I think 20 years ago, it would have been more difficult for me to take that advice. I think as you and that's sort of a gift of, of, you know, getting older is that it's easier to say, um, 
it's all okay. It all works out okay. And yeah. and it feels much better to be myself and not care so much what other people think. Um, so I guess, I, I mean, I guess you can give all the advice you want, but people sort of have to come to that themselves. But just listen, listen to your heart and listen to what makes you happy and get rid of the stuff that doesn't. Do you think you fell into that authenticity, that it just kind of evolved with age? Or was there something that happened that was a catalyst for this authenticity? I think I think mostly it's just getting older. I really do. And, and by that, I mean the perspective you gain. You know, just looking and, and knowing that it is going to be all right and just feeling more comfortable with yourself. Like, I think when I was younger, I, I cared a lot more what people think. I mean, obviously, I still care what people think if they're important to me and I, you know, yeah. but I just don't put as much weight on it. And I really do think that's just come with years and experience and, you know, knowing who you are. It takes a while to figure out who you are, I think, in the world. I agree. And I think having kids, they wear you down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to a nub, they wear you down. <laughs> I think there are some things that I'm like, I'm just, maybe I come off as being really relaxed about that. But I wish I could care more. I'm just too tired. Right? <laughs> That's like the third child, right? The first child is like you practically like kill yourself. You go crazy oh at every gosh. little thing. And I have twins, numbers two and three are twins. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you're much more laid back about it. You're like, who's home? Who can I tell them to go ask? Like, Go ask your brother. Go ask your dad. <laughs> That's exactly. Okay, Lisa. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We really yes, appreciate it. It's been great to have you. Thank so you. If you want to learn more about Lisa and her campaign and the work she's done with the Women's March, you can go to our website, womeninadaypodcast.com. You can see photos of Lisa. You can read um, some of the things that we talked to her about that didn't make it into the episode. And you can also get in touch with Lisa there. Is there any way that people can find you directly, Lisa? Sure, absolutely. Well, the easiest way that comes to mind is through the campaign site, cutterforcolorado.com, and then also Cutter for Colorado on Facebook. And I'm really responsive to private messages, or there's a way to reach out through the uh, website. And I think my phone number and everything is there, too. So, yeah, I love to talk to no people. No prank phone calls. No, <laughs> absolutely not. She'll no, never, my refrigerator's not running. <laughs> she'll never come back if we torture her. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much to Tony Tarbox, our extraordinary editor, and to Hillary Blair for loaning her voice to our introduction. But most of all, thank you to our listeners.